0: Chapter Fifteen of Bon Marie. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Susanna Mason. Bon Marie, A Tale of Normandy in Paris by Henry Gaville. Translated by Mary Neil Sherwood. Chapter Fifteen. He Comes. One night, while the orchestra was playing the prelude to her first ballad, she ran over the audience with indolent eyes, for she had become accustomed to the fiery barrier of the footlights. She was never timid, but sure of herself, liked to examine her public and possibly select some especial persons to whom to sing. Her heart gave a wild, tumultuous leap, as she caught sight of a young man who was watching her with fixed attention. He sat leaning back in his chair against a mass of dark green foliage. His large, dark eyes were full of fire, and totally different from those of the men whom she was in the habit of seeing. They were neither weary and faded from sleeplessness, nor reddened by dissipation. The girl's lips paled as she met these eyes, but it was time for her to sing. She finished the first verse, and as she turned the page again, Bonmarie glanced once more at the stranger. He had listened attentively. Indeed, he leaned forward and fixed his eyes on her. "'He has come,' said Bonmarie. "'The man I am to love has come.' With what intensity of feeling she sang the words of the next couplet, and in them addressed the stranger." who had entered thus suddenly into her life, only those who know something of the enthusiasm of a pure romantic young girl can imagine. The unknown was carefully dressed and singularly handsome. Of course, therefore, he must be endowed with every virtue and every merit. His admiration of Marie was very evident and unmistakable, and yet she fancied she read in his face something more than admiration, curiosity and astonishment. It is astonishing. It seemed to say, she is pretty, very pretty. She sings here, and yet she has not the face or the air for a casino. The unknown, called a waiter, gave him a card and slipped something into his hand as the young girl sang her third and last verse. When she ended, she bowed and curtsied gravely to the enthusiastic audience. The man she had been looking at rose to his feet and applauded her with his gloved hands. With difficulty, she guarded herself against thanking him with a look being worn by a secret instinct. When she returned to her dressing room she received a bouquet of white blossoms, and with it a card. This card, which she looked at with some hesitation, was inscribed with the name Louis Morin. He was not able he was not noble, as they say in the country. The stranger was a mere plebeian, but what did that matter if he had the true nobility of soul and good manners? These were Bon These were Bonmarie's reflections, and she was quite ready to forgive anything in the man to whom she had never yet once spoken. The next night, Louise Maureen was in the same place, and when Mademoiselle Lucien curtsied low in reply to the applause, he bowed to her. His bow was both familiar and respectful, and Mademoiselle Lucien colored and sang with a less assured voice than usual. Later in the evening, a white bouquet, precisely like the one of the evening before, was handed to her. She had received many bouquets, all had pleased her. She had received many bouquets, all had pleased her, but none had agitated her. This one brought back all her past, all her dreams of love and of fame. It was precisely thus she had pictured to herself the coming of her lover. He would see her some night, and he would dare to speak to her. Finally, his lips would be unsealed, and a heaven on earth would unroll before them through a marriage where love would be eternal. If Louise Maureen had known all that was in Bonne maries heart at that moment, he would probably have postponed the presentation that he had eagerly asked. But he believed her to be very different from what she really was. He thought her a mere concert singer like many another, having possibly a little more education, but who had little reputation or virtue to lose. In his eyes, Bonne marie was a pretty person, extremely charming, and with a natural air of distinction but who was quite as capable of devouring a man's fortune as any one of her associates. While Bonmarie, therefore, was dreaming of a fortune that could not be far distant, Louise Morin made more prosaic reflections, of which the result was that on the fourth day, having not received, not having received even a glance of encouragement, and yet with an intuitive certainty of having been remarked, the young man waited outside the enclosure until the noisy artists had all departed. Ten minutes later, the young girl in black and with close round hat came out. At first, he hardly recognized her in this costume, but a second look reassured him, and he bowed profoundly. At the moment when he was about to utter words of which, at the moment when he was about to utter words which he could never repair, he saw Bonne Marie return his salutation with timidity and haste. She dropped her veil over her face, all glowing with blushes, and passed on quickly. He stood in mute surprise, forgetting to put on his hat. And when he came to his senses the girl was far away he turned and followed her but he was too late she was out of sight the next day he was near the entrance long before it was time for the concert to open he sat on the same bench where bonne marie had sat on that day when she saw clotilde and waited with his white bouquet in hand he did not care in the least for the fact that his bouquet and himself were attracting considerable attention and ridicule he determined to see again and nearer to that pretty timid face she does not look in the least as if she belonged to this profession he said to himself and i believe there is some romance in connection with her i intend to find it out chapter fifteen recording by susanna mason